So like I said, this is our, this is our last week of our three-week little mini-series that we have been in called For Better or For Worse. And so we've spent the last two weeks and then this morning diving into the topic of marriage. Um, specifically, you know, when we, when we all got married, or if you're married here, when you got married, you probably said some kind of iteration of that vow, right? In sickness and in health, for better or for worse. And so specifically, um, we've been spending the last couple of weeks saying, well, what do we do as married couples when we go through the worst times, right? A lot of times when, when things are better and things are great and uh, you just kind of coast and it's you know, smooth sailing, so to speak, but what do you do when you go through conflict and pain and disappointment and arguments? And so this, this series is tr- uh, trying to be very practical, so today is the last week, and then we're going to dive back into the Gospel of John next week. And I know some of you are like, finally, I don't want to talk about marriage anymore. Uh, but we'll be back in John 10 next week and just con- continue in that uh, Gospel. So let me just quickly recap the last two weeks in case you've missed it or, or just to kind of bring you up to speed. In week one, we kind of went over the culture's view of marriage as opposed to the biblical view. And so really the big idea, you know, laying some groundwork for the, the following two weeks was marriage in the Bible is seen as a covenant, right? The Hebrew word being the, it's a, a debach, right? We're holding fast to one another, husband and wife, and it's meant to be seen as this unbreakable promise, right? If you remember, uh, Abram cuts the animals in half and God walks between, right? This like very intense promise, more so than our culture's view, which, which would kind of view marriage as simply a contract, something that, sure, it's a hassle to get out of, but you can easily get out of it, right? And so we kind of compared those two views of marriage. And then last week, we talked about the fact that every human being is self-centered and selfish, right? And, and how our culture, again, kind of caters to that and says that, no, well, you are the most important person in the universe and what you think matters the most. And, and we're so individualistic. So you take two people like that and then put them together in a marriage and you wonder why we have arguments and disagreements because we're all self-centered and we all want our own way. And so we, we, we unpacked Philippians chapter 2 where it says that we're not to do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit or rivalry, but consider others as more important than ourselves. And so we, we kind of unpack, well, what would it look like for a husband every day to make a conscious choice to say, today I'm going to treat my wife as more significant than me? And then the opposite, what if a wife every day woke up and said, you know, today I'm going to treat my husband as more significant than me. I'm going to put his needs and interests ahead of my own. So today the question that I want to just kind of wrestle with a little bit is how, as the years go on, do you continue to build into your marriage? Right? So I I don't know everybody here, but you know, so my wife and I, we're coming up on 11 years. Some of you have been married two years, five years, 20 years, 50 years, whatever it is, right? How, as the years kind of tick on, how, how do you continue to build into your marriage, because I don't know if you realize this, human beings change over time, right? Human beings, everybody. Like, I, when I think back to the person I was 15 years ago, I am not the same person that I was 
15 years ago, and I'm sure all of you, you know, and it can be silly things like preferences or whatever, and and then it can get into like deeper character attributes. I'm not the same person I was 5, 10, 15 years ago because things change, your circumstances change, your outlook on life changes, and hopefully if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is changing you as well. And so then, as, as husbands and wives, as you grow over the years, how do you work through the fact that you're both changing as people, and then how do you actually grow together as a couple? Um, Stanley Hauervas, he says this, it's an interesting quote, we never know whom we marry, we just think we do. For even if we first marry the right person, right, whatever that means, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing it is, means we are not the same person after we've entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Now, I don't know if I would go like that extreme, but he's on to something. Right, because we often when we got married, I found Mr. Wright or I found Mrs. Wright, and they are perfect for me. And Stanley Howarvas would say, "Just give it, give it a few years, because we change." And what he what he what he means is, how then, as you go through marriage, do you love, in his words, the stranger you might find yourself married to? That you go, wait a second, you're so different than the day that we got married. Because marriage changes you, having kids changes you, your career changes you, where you live changes you, other family issues can change you. And like I said, hopefully, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is changing you as well. And so marriage can often bring out traits in us that were always there, but they were just hidden. And it's interesting when uh, not, not a ton, but sometimes when, uh, when I was doing youth ministry and, you know, teens in grade 11 and 12 would start dating and they would start talking, you know, and young adults talking about marriage. And sometimes when my wife and I have done uh, premarital counseling, not often, but sometimes I would hear things like, well, I just want to find someone that doesn't try and change me. I'm like, well, don't bother getting married then because that's impossible, <laughs> right? Some, and and that, that idea of like, I just want to find someone that leaves me alone and just loves me for me and doesn't try and change me. And I would tell those people, don't bother getting married then because you're going to be sorely disappointed because marriage brings things out in you that were always there. So let me give you a, an illustration. So if you would look at a bridge, Right? And I was going to say, like, don't think of the Taylor Bridge because that's a mess. But if you would look at a good bridge, <laughs> right? And, uh, and, and you know how sometimes they, uh, uh, and I don't know if you've been to some of those places where you can actually, like, pull off and then walk down and you see, like, from the, the underside, right? The, just the architecture of this bridge. To the naked human eye, you would look at a bridge and you would go, it looks perfect. There's no issues with this bridge because you, in, like, to your naked eye, you won't see hairline fractures, you won't see like tiny issues or problems, and yet when a 20-ton truck or 50, whatever, a massive truck drives across the bridge, suddenly some of those issues are exposed a little more, aren't they? As the bridge bends and creaks and groans, and then some experts can go, oh man, when there's weight on the bridge, look, there's a crack right there. That's kind of like marriage, 
You from the outside, you can look at yourself and go, I don't have any major issues. And then when you get married, it's not that marriage is causing the issues. All marriage is doing is it's the pressure that all of a sudden exposes what was already there all along. And you begin to see things that you go, oh man, I never saw that before. So we often get married in the in love phase. I call it the googly eye phase. We get married and, 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 and then after a while you begin to see your spouse's flaws. And oftentimes people respond in a couple of different ways. Either they say, well, I've made a bad choice because I'm seeing things in my spouse that I don't like. So I've made a bad choice and I need to find, you know, leave this and go find someone more compatible. Uh, some, some couples then their response to seeing flaws in their spouse, and they go, oh, I don't like that, they withdraw, and you're essentially roommates. And I'm just going to learn to get along, even though we just drive each other crazy. I'm just going to withdraw from this individual. Other times, this is what causes so much fighting and conflict, because you begin to blame the other person for the problems in the, the marriage. But what if you viewed your marriage as a deep, spiritual friendship for the journey to the new creation? What if you said, my spouse, this is my closest, most spiritual relationship I have. This is my, my, my closest spiritual friend, and we are journeying together through life until either we die and we see Jesus, or Jesus comes back and we enter into new creation. Rather than, well, uh, problems, I'm going to withdraw, we're going to fight, I'm going to leave. What if you just said, no, 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 we're on this journey to eternity together. Marriage is the closest, most inescapable contact with another human being possible. It just is. And, and I've already said this, but you see each other close up, right? More so than any other relationship, and you're forced to deal with the flaws and the sins of, of someone else. Like, when I have a friend that has flaws and has sin in their lives, yeah, we deal with it, but I don't see them every single day, their flaws are not in front of my face all the time, right? Like your spouses can be. And so we want to talk about what are, what are some tools for dealing with this kind of stuff for the long haul. So I'm going to give you three. Here's the roadmap of where we're going. I want to talk about the power of truth in your marriage, the power of love in your marriage, and the need for grace in your marriage. Those three things. Now, we're not going to be in one set passage like we usually are, so if you have a Bible, we'll, we're, we'll kind of flip to a few different ones, and it'll also be on the, the screen behind you. The power of truth, the power of love, and the need for grace for the long haul in our marriages. So the power of truth, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's pretty common knowledge, right, in the Bible that as followers of Jesus, one of the things that we're commanded to do is to be truthful people, right? We're not supposed to lie. We're not supposed to, you know, kind of uh, tell half truths. We're not supposed to fudge things to just make life easier. We're like commanded in Scripture that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are now a truth-telling person, right? So a, a few Scriptures. In Ephesians 4, Verse 15, Paul has just talked about, here's, you know, gifts for the church, pastors, shepherds, teachers, so that all of us, right, as believers, were built up into maturity so that we're not tossed back and forth by every doctrine, by human cunning, by deceit. And then he says this, rather, so as 
instead of being tossed back and forth, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So the opposite, right, for Paul of being tossed about by deceitfulness, by cunning, by, by different doctrines, we're actually meant to speak the truth to one another in love so that we grow up, basically that we mature as believers. Even a few verses later in verse 25, he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Right? So, we don't, we're not, we don't, we're not, we don't speak falsehood anymore. He says, put that aside, put it away, rather, right, because of this stuff, then speak truth to one another. Why? Because we're all members one of another. Um, there's even a, an amazing passage in Zechariah 8, and it says this, these are the things that you shall do. Zechariah 8, 16, speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. So in this, you know, prophetic vision and this call to the people of Israel, Zechariah, like God speaking through Zechariah says, okay, these are the things that you need to do. Speak the truth to one another and make good judgments that are true and that actually lead to peace. So in your marriage, you must speak the truth to your spouse and be honest with them. And I know that this seems so kind of like basic and we will go, well, yeah, obviously we should do that. But many of us don't do this. Um, speaking the truth to your spouse when you see, specifically when you see sin or inconsistency in your spouse, you, you have to learn how to speak the truth to them. Now, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, oh, I just have to speak the truth about every single preference. That's not what I'm talking about. I have to speak my truth about folding towels. Like, we've used that example. It's like, well, that doesn't really matter. Who cares? I'm talking more about, like, deeper things than, like, well, it's, you know, the truth is that you, you need to do the dishes more. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Don't do that. I'm talking about character things or inconsistencies or, or sin that you see in your spouse to, to have the, the, um, the boldness to actually speak the truth to them. So maybe, right, I'm going to give you some examples. Maybe your spouse naturally is a proud person, that they're opinionated and they can be, you know, a little bit selfish. How do you speak the truth to them about that? And now when I give the examples, I don't want to see couples. Okay? These are hypothetical <laughs> examples. <laughs> I just know human beings. That's what we do. Like, hmm, did you hear that? about the? Uh, what if your spouse is very inflexible and is demanding and, and maybe a little bit sulky if they don't get their way? What if your, your spouse is an undisciplined person? They don't have self-control. They're unreliable. Maybe they're very disorganized and it's causing issues in the, the family. Maybe your spouse is just an, an oblivious person that is oblivious to your needs and, and the hurts that they cause you, that they can come across as very insensitive. Maybe your spouse is a perfectionist and it can come across as being very judgmental and critical of others. Maybe your spouse is, is impatient and irritable and holds grudges and loses their temper, right? There's so many examples we can give. But I'm, so I'm not talking about like little rubs about, you know, household things. I'm talking about like character issues that you go, 
when we got married, now I'm seeing these flaws in my spouse. And vice versa, right? They're beginning to see things in you. And here's why this is different than any other relationship. Other people might see those flaws in you, like a friend or a coworker, but oftentimes you can just brush people off. Like if a coworker or a, a, a friend came to you and said, hey, I think that you're quite inflexible and you demand your own way, oftentimes if it's just somebody random, you can go, okay, yeah, well, thanks, but I don't think so. Now, it's different when it's your spouse who sees you all the time and begins to, to notice these things in you. It, it, it's a different level. Now, if you view marriage as a covenant, right, from week one, marriage is unbreakable, then I know, right, in my marriage that I can speak the truth to Molly, and I know that she's not going anywhere. And it might hurt, and it might cause arguments, but it's necessary. Like, I know, like, Molly knows that if she sees a a flaw in me, or that I am lacking self-control, or or whatever it is, and she comes to me, and she speaks the truth to me. Andrew, I'm seeing that you are becoming so easily irritated with the kids, and you're lacking self-control in your discipline. She can say that to me, because she knows that I'm not going to go, well, fine, I'm out of here then, because our marriage is a covenant, right? I'm not going anywhere, and yes, it still hurts when those things are said, because she's pointing out Deep character issues in me. Now, I know that this seems so obvious. Well, well, obviously, we should speak the truth to one another. But, but oftentimes, as spouses, we don't actually do this. We don't speak the truth to each other because we know it will make it uncomfortable. Or we know that it might cause an argument or it will just be awkward. So a lot of times we just bury it deep inside and we go, it's not that big of an issue, I'll just get over it. Or we withdraw from our spouse rather than saying, no, we need to deal with this. So we either avoid speaking the truth to our spouse or even worse, when we hear the truth, then we just react because we feel like, well, you're just attacking me then. Right? Or maybe I just do this. But oftentimes, when my spouse will point out something in me, I just get so defensive. And I go, well, well, you've got issues too, or whatever I do, right? And we do that because we feel like, well, this is a, a personal a- attack against me. Um, when we do premarital counseling, often we'll say this, and it seems so obvious, but it needs to be said, like, your spouse is not your enemy, don't assume the worst in them, right? So when, if my wife comes to me with something, some truth about a character flaw, don't assume the worst that, well, she's just being vindictive and mean, I can't believe, don't do that. Maybe your spouse actually just really cares about you and wants you to grow as a follower of Jesus. Um, Tim Keller said this, people are appalled when they get sharp far-reaching criticisms from their spouses. They immediately begin to think they married the wrong person. But you must realize that it isn't ultimately your spouse who's exposing the sinfulness in your heart. It's marriage itself. Marriage does not so much bring you into confrontation with your spouse as confront you with yourself. Marriage shows you a realistic, unflattering picture of who you are and then takes you by the scruff of the neck and forces you to pay attention to it. I think he's bang on. 
So much of conflict in, in marriage, it, it actually has nothing to do with my spouse, is because I'm seeing an unflattering picture of myself and I don't like it. And because marriage is this covenant where we are just together, then like he says, I'm just forced to look at it. And I go, I don't like what this is bringing up in me. So the power of truth in marriage, you being able to go, I know my spouse isn't going anywhere. We are in a covenant of marriage. I can speak the truth to them. It's a gift, but it is a hard gift to receive. If you think like gold out of a mine, right? When you, when you mine gold and then they actually heat it up to unbelievable temperatures because they're trying to actually burn away all the impurities so that you're left with this beautiful gold or whatever kind of you know, metal you're thinking of. We, we burn it so that all the dross is kind of like burned away and that's kind of what marriage does, right? We want to be more like Jesus. We want to be sanctified and God uses your spouse in your sanctification to burn away all of the impurity and sin and character issues in you. So what if you actually viewed my, my, my spouse telling me the truth about issues that they see in me? What if you said, man, that is such a gift from God. What a gift that the closest individual in my life has permission to just tell me the truth. The power of truth is, is what keeps marriages going for the long haul. When you see issues and flaws and, and sin and inconsistency, to be able to actually call it out with one another, it's a beautiful gift. The power of love, right? So you have the power of, of truth in a marriage but I would say it, it must be, must be coupled with, with love. So even Ephesians 4, if you remember, Paul says, rather speaking the truth in love, right? It's not just, yes, I can say whatever I want as long as it's true. No, no, no. What is the attitude and the manner by which we speak truth to one another? It's in love. Great quote by Warren Wearsby. He says this, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. I mean, just, just wrestle with that for a second. Truth, me speaking truth to my spouse with no love is just brutality. And yet, if I say to my spouse, yes, I love you, and I just love them with, without ever telling them the truth, well, then actually I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. You need truth and love together. If you, if you are someone that has no issue speaking the truth to your spouse, and yet you do it without this manner of love, well, it's just harshness, and it's not going to be received well, and it's just the facts of the matter with no love, and people actually can't, can't bear that. And yet, it, love without truth is just sentimentality. It's just, yes, we love each other. We never have to argue. We never have to tell each other about things that bother us about the other person. Well, you're just a hypocrite. It's not real, right? It's a love that supports and affirms, but it actually keeps you in denial. Like, we're seeing this in, in our culture. If you think about the whole LGBTQ plus issue, we, our culture says, yes, you can love me, but I don't want any truth. Loving means you just close your eyes to whatever I'm doing and you just accept whatever. 
And that's actually hypocrisy. It's not love to say, okay, you're destroying your life. You're destroying your kids' lives. You're destroying our culture. But we love you. No, you're a hypocrite. We must speak the truth. And we can still love people, right? They go hand, hand in hand. Um, even dealing with a different issue. But Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. He's talking to a church that is so messed up. And there's rivalries, and they're saying, well, I, I, I have this spiritual gift, and you have this spiritual gift, and I follow Apollos, and you follow Peter, or, or whatever. And all of these rivalries, and there's so much pride in this church. And so Paul's just talked about all of these spiritual gifts that, that the Holy Spirit gives the church. And in the start of chapter 13, he says this. He gives these examples of unbelievable things that people can do through the Spirit, and yet it is all nothing if they don't love each other. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And, and, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Like, do you realize how, in, like, just think about that. Someone that says, yeah, I can actually speak angelic languages. Like, can you imagine that? I can speak in all the tongues of men. Name a language, right? God's gifted me to, to speak it. And Paul says, if you, if you can do that and yet you actually don't love people, do you know what you sound like? Psh, 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 psh. You're just annoying everybody, right? Paul says, if, if you were actually gifted with prophetic powers and you knew everything, if you, say, if you could say, I know all the mysteries and wonders and knowledge of the world, he says, and, and if and if you had all faith that you could actually tell mountains to move and you don't have love, well, then you're nothing. It's meaningless. It's pointless. And, and then he says, and if I actually, if I give away, so if I was someone who was so, if I was the most generous person in the world, I gave away everything I owned and that I actually even died for my faith. I was burned alive for following Jesus, but I don't love people. You've actually gained nothing. So think about our marriages, right? Well, I am just a truthful person, and I just tell my spouse every flaw about them because I am truthful. If you don't love them, you're a noisy gong. It's not accomplishing anything, right? Everything we do as followers of Jesus must be done in love. Yes, we speak the truth to one another, but if you don't couple it with this power of love, then it's nothing. It's meaningless. And here's why this is the, the power of love in a marriage. Love and affirmation from your spouse actually has the power to heal your deepest wounds more so than any other relationship. You can say, man, I have a best friend that loves me. Well, praise God. Or your parents love you. Praise God. But there is something unique about your spouse's love that has, has this power to actually heal some pretty deep wounds you might have. So, uh, you know, being someone who, who preaches week after week, oftentimes you get feedback, um, some good, some bad, and that's fine. But oftentimes if someone says like after the service, oh, thank you, Andrew, that was a great sermon, it's just kind of, that, 
I'm like, I appreciate it, but it, it means very little to me. And yet if I go home and my wife says, man, God really used you today, then I feel 10 feet tall because it's different, right? My wife knows me, and when she affirms me, it carries a lot more weight than any of you. Sorry. <laughs> and the opposite is true. The opposite, like the power that my wife has in my life. Because like afterwards, sometimes people have come and said, hey, I was really upset about what you said in the sermon, and that bothered me, and I was offended by this and that, and I'll be like, well, sorry about that, and I'll go home and I'll take a nap, and I won't think about you for the rest of the day. (laughs) I'm just being honest. But if my wife says, man, Andrew, that part of the sermon was just way too harsh, that cuts way deeper than any of you because she's my spouse, right? So the the power of truth and love, like, it's no joke in our marriages, like my, my wife, and, and she would say the same thing about the things that I can say, and when I affirm her, it just means so much more than, than anyone else. It matters because I know that she knows me better than any of you. And really, here's why truth and love is so key, because it is the picture of the gospel, is it not? The Bible confronts us with the truth of who we are. Right? If you just get to the love of God without the truth of your fallen condition, then you have half the gospel. Right? The gospel is truth and love held together. The truth is, is that we are all born wretched sinners, enemies of God, depraved in our minds, doing whatever satisfies our flesh. And then Jesus comes and he pays the price, this unbelievable act of love on the cross. The wrath of God against you is poured out onto Jesus instead because God loves you so much. Right? You need both. If all you hear all the time is that you're a wretched sinner without the love of God, it just destroys you. And, and then you're trying to earn something on your own. But if all you ever hear is, well, God loves you, God loves you, doesn't matter what you do, God loves you, well, then you're not actually hearing the gospel. So truth and love is actually a picture of the gospel as well. So how does this play out in a marriage? Uh, I'm going to be a little vulnerable here, and most of you already know uh, a a large chunk of my my story, but for close to a decade, I was addicted to pornography pretty pretty intensely, um, and and kind of did a half confession to my wife when we got married. Yeah, I used to deal with that, and I don't anymore. And so for the first few years of our marriage, it was this kind of hidden secret sin that I battled with. And, and then there was one day, and I won't go into all the details, but I just felt so convicted by the Holy Spirit that I finally confessed everything to my wife. And it led to a... a, a we're talking about worse times, it led to a very significant issue and worse time in our marriage dealing with this. And my, my wife demonstrated exactly what we're talking about, the power of truth and love in our marriage. Um, because she spoke the truth to me, and man, it hurt about what I was doing to my family, 
uh, about what, where, where my relationship with Jesus was at, if I just kind of was continuing in this unrepentant sin, uh, about the example that I was setting for our children, about what this did to her heart. Uh, and it sucked hearing these true things. And when my wife said, and if this continues, I'm taking the kids and we're leaving until you sort this out. And she spoke the truth to me, and yet I'll never forget this. All day, and then at nighttime, I grabbed my pillow and I grabbed a blanket and I said, I'm just going to go sleep on the couch. And my wife said, no, you're not. You were my husband and we sleep in the same bed. And so it was like all of this truth that I needed, and, and then yet my wife extended more than you can imagine this, this act of gracious love towards me. I mean, she did exactly what we're talking about. So they can be held t- together. The power of truth in your marriage and the power of love. Lastly, then, as you journey with your spouse through life, you need grace for one another, right? You have the power to speak the truth to one another. There's this power of love when you actually affirm your spouse and you love them deeply. And lastly, you, you need grace towards one another in your marriage. And so grace, if you would define it, is simply unmerited favor. Grace, if you talk about God's grace, grace is, is God giving us something that we don't deserve, Right? Grace is showing approval and kindness and blessing when you don't deserve it. Right? Because what do we deserve from God? We deserve wrath and hell. And yet God's grace is Him giving us Jesus. Right? What we don't deserve. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you've received grace from Him, that actually enables you to show grace to each other. To show unmerited favor to your spouse. And this happens the most in forgiveness and in repentance. So when you are really good at forgiving and you are really good at repenting, then truth and love go really well together. So like when I, when I, when I sin against my wife and I seek forgiveness, grace is responding to that request with unmerited blessing and favor. Exactly the example I gave, right? When I repented and asked forgiveness from my wife, grace was her extending, saying, no, 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 you're not sleeping on the couch. We're still sleeping together. We're husband and wife. I'm still mad at you, but we're not sleeping separately. That's, that's un, I didn't deserve that. I deserve to sleep outside. And grace was Molly giving me undeserved favor and blessing. Now, you can't, create, you can't manufacture that kind of grace on your own. It's impossible, humanly speaking. And you can actually only give to others what you've received. And so even if you think about our Good Friday message, when you understand the unmatched, undeserved grace of God towards you, when you realize how much you've been forgiven, then it actually, it actually uh, enables you to show grace to others. Right When I know my debt of sin against Jesus and that he willingly gave his life for me, then when I need to show grace to others, you're reminding yourself of the grace that's been shown to you and it enables you to show grace to others. So this is powerful in a marriage. 
and it's easier said than done. It is, it is hard, humanly speaking, to show grace to someone who has wronged you, and yet this is exactly what the gospel is about, isn't it? When we hurt each other and when we sin against each other, showing grace is just treating your spouse even though, and you'll say, well, they don't deserve it. Agreed. That's what grace is. They don't deserve it. And yet it's still offering blessing and favor and love to them. So that's the end of my message, but I have some junk drawer items that we need to deal with. Um, All of you, I know all of you have a junk drawer at home don't you? Where it's just like, why do we have these things? Um, Actually, my junk drawer is our kitchen island. Anyone else? Your kitchen island. I'm like, where does all this stuff come from? So I want to end because in a marriage series, there's just so many, so many things that we could talk about. And as I was specifically thinking through, okay, we're talking about conflicts and disagreements and hard times. The reason that I started with talking about covenant is because that affects your view of your marriage. Okay, this is a covenant. This is unbreakable. And then talking about our selfishness, that that changes the lens by which you see all conflict in your marriage when you go, man, I am naturally selfish. And then when we talk about the power that truth has in your marriage and love and the need for grace, there's still some practical things that you and I can implement in our marriages that just helps when you're dealing with conflict and disagreement. So I have five to give you to just close with, and then I'll pray for us. So number one, when you're in a conflict or disagreement with your spouse, never respond to them rashly. Never respond to your spouse rashly. Take a breath. Take a time out. Um, Years ago, I think the first year we moved here, a couple came to my wife and I, and they were getting... Uh, married, and they said, we would love to do some counseling with you. And the first evening, they just kind of like dumped all of this, all of these issues. Uh, And I appreciated that they were honest, but it was like overwhelming. It was like, here's all of our problems. And one of the significant problems is, is both of them came from families that loved to yell at each other. And then they, whenever they had a disagreement, all they did was yell and it escalated and they just, they just couldn't get anything accomplished through conflict. It just just yelled at each other. And so then I, 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 this, I think God gave me this idea. I said, okay, next time you're having a conflict, you're going to grab a, an item, and this is going to be whoever holds this item, they're allowed to talk, and the other person has to shut up. And they said, well, that seems kind of childish. We're t-. I'm like, well, you're acting like children, so we're going to treat you like children, right? And I said, when, when he holds the pen and he's talking about what's upset him, you are not allowed to speak. Hold your tongue. And vice versa. And it was funny, they came back the next week and they said, it it actually worked to not just speak rashly and when I'm angry to just say whatever I'm thinking. It actually works, right? Even biblically, James, the book of James, be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? Even uh, Proverbs 29 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Like the Bible says, if you're someone who's just like, blah, I just respond like that, you're a fool. A wise man actually just holds back. You don't speak rashly. Even, I know the fellows will like this, Proverbs 21.9, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop 
than in a house with a quarrelsome wife. I know I picked on the guys a little bit last week, but it's the same. Ladies, like, are you, are you one to just quickly, rashly, in anger, respond to your spouse? The Bible says, guys, it's better to live on your roof than deal with that. So I would say in a conflict, never respond rashly. Like, take a moment, take a breath, take a walk, calm down. Secondly, never shame your spouse to your friends. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I, I can't tell you the amount of people I know that just badmouth their spouse to their friends. It's wickedness. Like Molly, uh, years ago, went out for a girls' night with some, some friends, and she got home, and I said, how was it? She said, it was awful. They just sat around talking about how dumb their husbands are. She said, it was terrible. I felt sick to my stomach. And I know some people are like, well, I need to vent. Well, get a therapist. But you going out with your friends and bad-mathing your spouse is wickedness. Don't shame your spouse to your friends. Thirdly, never dig up the past. 1 Corinthians 13, that same chapter about love, right? In the church, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. That word resentful literally means it doesn't count up wrongdoing. It's the idea of I have my sheet and I'm keeping record of all the times that you've wronged me. Love doesn't do that. And so I know oftentimes because I've been there, when you're in a conflict with your spouse or a disagreement or something terrible is happening, oftentimes the temptation is, well, do you remember four years ago when you did this? Don't do that. Don't keep a record of wrong. Don't dig up the past. It's not helpful. Fourthly, never use put-downs or defame your spouse in your arguments. And again, because we're sinful, it's so easy to do this. We just wound the one that we love the most. Even in the book of James, it says, So also, James 3, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. It can be so tempting when you are mad and you are in a disagreement with your spouse to use put-downs and defame them. Don't. Don't Set ablaze your marriage because your tongue can't be controlled. And then lastly, never put off seeking resolution. Um, in Ephesians 4, near the end of chapter 4, 20, verse 26, it says, Be angry, right? You're allowed to be angry. <laughs> be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, I know for some people they read that and they go, Literally? We have to fight all night if we don't resolve it? I actually don't think that's what it means. I don't think it means, well, it's midnight and we're still arguing. No sleep allowed. That's going to make it way worse when you're tired. But saying, don't let the sun go down on your anger, is saying in a loving way, we need to continue discussing this tomorrow. I love you. Let's go to bed. 
rather than I'm so mad, I'm going to bed. It's, there's, there's a difference, right? So don't put off seeking resolution. And in your anger with your spouse, don't sin. My prayer for these last three weeks has been that this would be so practical for us. Um, and I'll tell you that this is not how I usually like to preach. It's hard for me to preach topically and, and that kind of stuff. But my, my goal the whole time is, okay, what do we need as husbands and wives practically? What are actual tools that we can take from Scripture and go, okay, I, I can begin to actually implement this. And so this is how I would close then. As husbands and wives, this kind of stuff doesn't happen by osmosis. You don't hear a sermon and go, yep, amen, without actually doing anything. So now you have these principles and you have these tools. And so my encouragement to you is to begin to actually put them into place. To say, right, every day I'm going to wake up and say, God, help me to serve my spouse today. That you would, as you're in disagreements or arguments, that you would begin to think back, right, a fool is someone who just gives full vent to everything they're thinking. I actually need to, to listen more than I speak right now. Right? These things don't just happen. We, right, we, we partner with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one that sanctifies us, but we actually, it's our job to walk in step with Him. And so my prayer for all of us is that you would actually begin to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing this. I'm going to take steps towards my spouse. I'm actually going to, to begin to treat them like I want to be treated, to begin to put their needs ahead of my own. I'm going to start viewing my marriage. This is a covenant. I'm going to speak the truth to my spouse. I'm going to look for ways to love them practically. I'm going to show grace to my spouse. And my, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit, as we begin to walk in step with Him, that He would help all of our marriages flourish and thrive. So, Father, I just thank You for these last three weeks. I know it's um, different than what we usually do as we um, preach through books of the Bible, uh, but sometimes it's just necessary to take a step back and ask, uh, in, in, real, in the real world, what is going on in our lives? And God, I know that as a church, we're in a season where many marriages are just struggling. Um, some uh, are facing kind of like a minor speed bump, and, and others, it feels like they've been completely derailed. And God, even if we're here and we're going, man, my marriage is great. I don't know what Andrew's talking about. We are all a few bad decisions away from being exactly where they are. And we need your spirit, God, to help us and to guide us and to walk with us. So, God, my, like my prayer has been this, this, this whole past month, God, we just want to have practical tools. But I just pray for everyone here that it's great to hear about practical things, but if we never do them, then it's useless. So I just pray for each married couple here that whatever you've impressed upon their hearts these last three weeks, that they would begin to walk in those things. To say, yes, I know I'm selfish. I'm going I'm to buy the power of the Spirit. I'm going to treat my spouse as more significant than myself. I know that I've been avoiding the truth with my spouse and I've just been trying to love them unconditionally with never telling the truth to them. I, I just pray, God, that, that we would begin to tell the truth to our spouses. 
So just do your work, God. I, I pray, God, that our marriages in this church would thrive, that they would flourish, that husbands and wives would just enjoy the journey that they are on with their spouse. And it is possible, it is possible to have a marriage that is flourishing and thriving when both husband and wife have their eyes fixed on you, Jesus. So would you do this work in us? And we just pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen.